sons and daughters of the King, whom heavenly hosts in glory sing. Today the grave has lost its sting. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. That Easter morn at break of day, the faithful women went their way to seek the tomb where Jesus lay. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. An angel clad in white they see, who sits and speaks unto the three. Your Lord will go to Galilee. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The not the apostles met in fear, among them came their master dear, and said, My peace be with you here. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. When Thomas first the tidings heard that they had seen the risen Lord, he doubted the disciples' word. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. My pierced side, O Thomas, see, and look upon my hands, my feet, not faithless, but believing be. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. No longer Thomas than denied, he saw the feet, the hands, the side. You are my Lord and God, he cried. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. How blessed are they who have not seen, and yet whose faith has constant been, for they eternal life shall win. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. On this most holy day of days, be Lord and and praise to God your hearts and voices raise. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, grant that we who have celebrated the Lord's resurrection may by your grace confess in our life and conversation that Jesus is Lord and God, through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Greetings to all of you. This is the 101 series of the podcast, and uh, we are returning to the reading through of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, now that we're a little bit farther into the Easter season, we meditated on the Easter readings last week. So this week we're going to be jumping into Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to see how far it takes us. Um, very good possibility we'll get all the way through chapter 7, uh, and 
So, with all that in mind, I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. And so it begins, so Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So this is a, so first up it's telling we are to give to the, there is the reality we are to give to the needy. It's not, he doesn't say if you are going to give to the needy. He says when. Jesus is assuming you as a Christian, you as a believer, are going to give to those who are in need. That is what we do as Christians. That's what we do as believers. But here it's straight up saying is do not seek the praise of others. Don't do it for your own glory. And this is a really challenging, interesting thing because what do we tend to do when it, especially companies, corporations, or whatever, whenever people do really good things, what do we like to do? We love the trumpet. We love to show off the work that we have done. <coughs> this is the very thing that Jesus does not want us to do. We want to give honor and glory to ourselves. This is our sinful nature. Our number one God is ourselves. And we love to be praised by others. And so this is Jesus telling us that when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So in other words, give without really giving thought to it. You know, just give. And now there is challenges in our own culture. I mean, we do, there are churches that keep track of offering. And they try to say, oh, this is, you're not... You're not, you haven't made, met the quota this year or whatever. And the problem, the weird thing is that we're actually kind of, sometimes, I, part of me feels that when we do it this way, we do set up the very thing that Jesus is cautioning against. You know, I know a lot of times people do this for the sake of taxes or whatever, but... Nonetheless, there is it does set up the possibility of us thinking, ah, look at me, look at what I've done. But we should not even be aware of what we're giving and, and what we do, you know, to help others. That's the way it's saying we should not even be aware that we're doing it. We're just doing it. It's like second nature. We're not needed. Somebody's like, ah, look at that good thing he did. Nobody had to point it out because we just do it. It's just... It's a second nature is, you know, eating breakfast, you know. It is just a part of what our life is. We don't get asked people to praise us for eating breakfast. We just do it because we need eat, or we should eat breakfast or lunch or supper or whatever. Um, we don't need to get praised. We just do it. It's just a part of who we are. It's a part of being a human. And giving to the need and help, needy and helping those who are in need, that is just part of being a Christian. So it continues. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now I want you to, um, actually hold it. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Okay, so there's one thing is at the very beginning tends to be used against liturgical worship, which we as Luther's practice. And so we have, we pray in the church. We have and we actually have a kind of a lengthy prayer every service, and it's known as the prayer of the church. It's right after the sermon. And so people might look at this and say, ah, 
right there, right there. It's saying that you are not supposed to do that. I mean, right there, it's saying, Jesus is saying, you know, don't stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners. But here's the, th listen, he is not having a problem. The problem is not with the fact that they're praying. The or even that they're praying in the synagogues or in the street corners. That is not the problem. Because, I mean, in fact, Jesus prayed in temples, in synagogues. Jesus did this. So, I mean, Jesus would have to be condemning himself. No, the problem isn't the, the action. The problem is the heart. The problem is why are they doing it? Why are they doing these prayers? They're doing it to get attention. It's about their ego. It's about their pride. Again, just like the previous verse, it is about soothing our own egos. It's about soothing and giving honor and glory to our most favorite God in the whole world. Me, myself, and I. We any chance we get because of our with our in our sinful nature, any chance we get to praise ourselves, we take it, and that is what Jesus is preaching against. And the lengthy prayers again, the prayer of church is not. It seems lengthy, but really it isn't. What we're doing is we're there are a multitude of petitions praying for a variety of things. It's so when we say like I pray for we pray for. The government. We pray for the church. We pray for other Christians. We pray for this. We pray for that. That is not what he's cautioning against. It's more like we go like, Lord, I pray for the government, and I pray that you. We try to get elaborate just on the prayer of the government, and we try to get all speechy and beautiful and poetic or whatever. And again, usually the reason they're doing it is they think that because they pray in such a beautiful way, because their words are so eloquent. Again, they're, they're asking for honor and glory to themselves. And because of the honor and glory caused by their prayer, that their prayers are going to be answered. That is, again, the motivation is worship of self. It is not the action in and of itself that is the problem. The problem is the motivation. Why are they doing it? Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So that right there, right there, you got the Lord's Prayer uh, being taught by Jesus. So it begins, our Father in heaven. The, that is, and by the way, I want you to notice that the, the Lord's Prayer is reflexive in many ways of many of the commandments. So the first one, our Father in heaven. The first commandment is, you shall have no other God before me. So we are saying our Father in heaven. That is keeping that first commandment. Hallowed be your name. The second commandment, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. So boom, right there. Keeping the second commandment. Your kingdom come. How does the kingdom of God come to us? It comes to us in word and sacrament at the divine service. That's the third commandment. <coughs> your will be done. How does God carry out his will? He carries it out through the, our parents, through our authorities, through those who are in, in charge of us. So that's the fourth commandment. On earth as it so on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Now this is this actually pretty much incorporates the rest of it. Um the rest of the commandments. And forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation that but deliver us from evil. And the word debts, it's the word that it's being translated out of in the Greek is not, it's a, it's a Greek word. So the Greek word is um, sphelema, 
which is, it's a word that is really challenging to translate. There is no real good word in English and to translate it into. And so, we, you know, in the traditional Lord's Prayer, we translate it as trespasses. Lead us, you know, forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us, right? The problem with the word trespasses in our culture, we don't use that word very often. The only place we really see the word trespass is on, on property signs saying no trespassing. So, you know, I remember this when I was a kid. The only place I ever saw the word trespass, and when I say kid, I mean I was like, you know, eight or nine years old or whatever. It, you know, the only type of place you ever saw the word trespass was on gate, on the gate to our, um, to a place that we have up in Minnesota. And, and I'm like, oh, so we're praying that we're forgiven for trespassing on property. But that's, you know, it's, it's, it's actually a word for sin. And then here you have in the ESV, they translate it as debts or debtors, debts and debtors. And again, this doesn't quite completely get to a debt. I mean, that it does give us, it does kind of give an idea that sin creates a debt with God and with others who we sin against. Um, but again, it doesn't quite get to it. So the problem is, is it's a Greek word that just does not translate well in English. Um, the Luke's Gospel, which also has a recording of the Lord's Prayer, um, it's not completely the same. There's some variations. But the Greek word that Luke uses is um, the, a Greek word that more properly translates into sin to let you specifically know what's trying to be communicated, that we are asking for forgiveness of our sins. And so, and now one of the things that you got to notice is in this prayer, there, you know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we end with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You look at the end of verse 13, which is the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, you don't have those words. So what's the deal? Where did it come from? Well, in the early church, it was of practice to at the end of prayers to end with a doxology. Doxology literally means words of praise. And so in the early church, they would say, they'd say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For and blessed is the kingdom of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever, unto the ages of ages. Amen. That's the way they would end it in the early church. And somewhere in the 6th century, specifically in the Western church, which we are descendants of the Western church, um, they dropped off the doxology. They just prayed simply like we have there, verse 9 through 13. They just prayed that. And in the Roman Catholic Church to this day, they still just pray that. The Lutheran Church pray just that. If you look in Luther's small catechism, for thine is the kingdom is not in his catechism. That was something that was added by copyists um, a couple hundred years later. Uh, but it was not in Luther's. But somewhere in, I think it was either in the 1700s, or, I think somewhere in the 1700s, somebody just, the tradition began up again of adding a doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer. And they, instead of for, you know, blessed is the kingdom of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and ever into the ages of ages, instead of that, they did, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so that's where that origin came from. It's a, it's a liturgical tradition. So they're not adding to the scriptures. They're acknowledged, when they did that, they knew that the scripture ended at verse 13, they're adding a doxology for the conclusion of the prayer. In our prayers, traditionally, we have doxologies. You know, that prayer we just opened with, um, you know, that, that was the collect for this past Sunday, for the second Sunday of Easter. It says, we end with, through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. That is a doxology. So, we still carry that tradition of ending with um, words of praise. So continuing into verse 14, it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness. A lot of us struggle with that. But it is a command by God that you are to forgive. Alright? Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. <coughs> I want you to notice something. Again, this is kind of similar going back to the giving to the poor. Jesus assumed that you're going to give to the poor. Here, he is also assuming that you are going to fast and not just fasting for the purpose of you have a doctor's appointment the next day. Um, you know, actually fasting for spiritual good. Because the, the purpose of fasting is to teach you to be dependent upon God more than food. All right? To realize, you know, as Jesus said to, to Satan when he was wandering the wilderness. We just heard this, you know, we, when I read on a couple, few weeks ago. Probably it's already over a month ago, to be honest. But um, in Matthew chapter 4, when he's being tempted in the wilderness... Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus himself, when speaking to the devil, said, quoting from scripture, that the word of God is more precious than food. And so, and that's the purpose of fasting, is to teach you to do that, to realize that. And so he's saying, when you fast, he doesn't say, if you fast, when he is ex he is expecting that we fast from time to time, and listen, this is um, and people think that well, this isn't a Lutheran thing. Lutherans don't fast, but notice what Luther says in the sacrament of the altar: Who receives the sacrament worthily? Fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training. And if you don't like that newer version of it, here's the old one. If you're the old 1940 um, catechism, let me turn to that. It says right here, it is fasting and bodily preparation are indeed a fine outward training. Luther, in his catechism, that thing that you were supposed to memorize when you're in confirmation, says himself that fasting in bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training. He commends fasting. All right, so scripture, Jesus expects it. We have it in our confessions. So yeah, we're supposed to fast. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And understand, he's not just talking about the green bills. And this is just materialism in general. Possessions, our treasures, whether it be you know, our shoes, our clothing, our jewelry, our... Um, vehicles, our tools, um, our video games, our televisions, our DVDs, our electronics, whatever it may be. These are, you know, I said that ourselves is our number one idol, and I'd say our number two idol 
is our possessions, which are used to serve our number one idol. We cannot serve both it and God. But the thing is, is our world is constantly, constantly asking us to choose between the two. I mean, how, you know, you hear about, I heard about this in, um, a pastor was talking about this, I think it was down in Alabama, where he was, he was, he was kind of lamenting the fact that his, his school district was having prom on Good Friday. Who, I mean, in Alabama, the Bible Belt. And so people are going to choose to go to prom over Good Friday. Because they're choosing the glory of themselves and the, the treasures. I mean, the memories are true, but I think and then in that dress and all those cool things. <coughs> We're choosing the treasures of this world over the treasures over our master who is God. And the world is constantly doing things like this. Forcing you to choose between masters. Now, this text, specifically... Um, Verse 16, this whole chapter 6 that we've been reading, this is used usually on Ash Wednesday. This is the gospel lesson for Ash Wednesday. And the reason is, is because it is setting the congregation on the course for the celebration of Lent. See, in the season of Lent, the tradition was that you would, in order to teach yourself to not lay up um, treasures in heaven. What you would do is you would fast. You would not eat. You would give things. That's just where the whole thing of giving things up. You fast. You give up those things that have become your idol. But especially the biggest idol there is. One of the bigger idols is our belly. Food is such a major idol. And so... We fast. And so then, once you fasted, you have a whole bunch of money you saved, right? And so what do you... Oh, yeah, so wait a minute, before I get to that. Okay, so you fasted. So what are you going to do with that extra time? Because <coughs> if you're fasting, that means you're not spending time eating. That's at least a half hour. And if you cook your meals, you got, you're figuring about an hour every meal... And then, you know, three times a day, you're talking three hours a day that all of a sudden is wide open. What do you do with that? Well, you pray. You read scriptures. All right? You teach yourself to store up the treasure of God's word. Teaching yourself that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And then you have this extra money. Because you did not spend money on the food. What do you do? You give it to the poor. You give it to the needy. Which is where the chapter began. Alright? And, and Or if you don't spend money on your food, maybe you grow your own. You Maybe you prepare a meal that would have been eaten by yourself and you bring it down to home, someone that's homeless, sitting on the underneath the bridge or whatever. <coughs> you give them your food and you give them your meal. That is a tradition of Lent. And, and so if you also notice it says when you fig it says when, when you're fasting, do not disfigure your faces. Um, no, there's a question. On Ash Wednesday, we put ashes on our forehead. Are we contradicting what Jesus said? No. Because the purpose of putting the ash on your head is not about fasting. It's actually a completely different issue. When we put that ash on our head, we are communicating, we are confessing that we are dead. We are dead on account of our sins. We are confessing that we are dirty, rotten sinners on the way to the grave on account of our sin. And it's put in the form of a cross to remind us of our baptism, in which the pastor says, Receive the sign of the cross upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by the by Christ the crucified. So that's the purpose. It's to remind us that one, we are sinners and we are dead in our sin. And two, we are made alive in our baptism 
through Christ Jesus. So verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you, that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's a very straightforward set of text, and, and I think it's something that is good for us to read and meditate on every now and then. We all, in this world, we are always anxious, worried about things that are to come. How are we going to pay our bills? How, how are we going to get this done? How are we going to get that done? Um, what's going to happen when, you know, my health or whatever it might be? We are, have so many things we're anxious of. And whenever you find yourself anxious, read these words. Reminder that your God is caring for you, right? Chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So Jesus says, judge not that you not be not judged. This is one of the most favorite verses in all of Scripture by many liberals. So what is Jesus? Is Jesus actually saying that we are not to be concerned about sin? No. Note the end. It says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Well, okay, I want you to think about something. How do you take a look? How do you think about your eye? If you get something really deeply embedded into your eye, you can't take care of it. You'll do more damage to your eye. So you need a skilled physician to take it out, right? See, our sin, we can't remove our sin. It's embedded in our eye, and it blinds us to a lot of things. To everything, actually. And so the only one that can remove that is the great physician, that is Jesus. And he did that by dying on the cross. And when we have that, had that removed, we are to turn to our neighbor and lead them to the same forgiveness. See, the thing is, is the reason why we concern ourselves with sin is not to say, Oh, look at you, you filthy sinner. No. We're not trying to do that. We're not, we're not to condemn them. That's not our job. We concern ourselves with sin for two reasons. One, it's because it does affect our neighbor. We love our... Out of love for our neighbor, when we see somebody who is caught up in drug addiction... We want to help them out, not because we think, oh, look at you filthy drug addict. No, that's not what we're doing. We shouldn't be doing that. Rather, 
We should be looking at the person seeing that it's destroying them and out of love, wanting to help them out of it. All the while recognizing that we have our own sin that is destroying our own lives and being ready for the reality that that person is going to step up, may step up and help you out of a sin that you're struggling with. All right? And the, the other th reason is, and this is the bigger reason, is that we want the person to see their sin that they may be led to repentance and that they may receive the forgiveness that our Lord has forgiven, has prepared for them, that has won for them when he died on the cross. So that is the deal here. This is not telling us that we don't be concerned about sin. We are definitely concerned about sin. This entire chapter... This entire Sermon on the Mount, which we're still in, which we began several weeks ago, Jesus is talking a lot about sins. And he's not telling us to not be concerned about it. It's more about how we are approaching it. Are we calling out someone's sin in order to make ourselves feel better about ourselves? Are we doing it to condemn them? No, then if that's what your goal is, then you're doing it, you're not supposed to. Knock it off. You're not to stand as their judge. Rather, if you are doing it to lead them to, that they may repent, and that they may turn over a new leaf, and they, they'd stop, that they would no longer be destructive to themselves or those around them, that is appropriate. We're supposed to do that. The key thing is, are you doing it out of love for yourself and your ego, your self-righteousness, or are you doing it out of love of them? All right? Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Yes, Jesus is talking about physical things, but notice right in the context of what we just read, is pro he is ultimately talking about when you ask for forgiveness, is it going all the way back to verse 12 of chapter 6, forgive us our debts. Jesus is telling you, if you ask, you knock, you ask God for forgiveness, he will give it. He will always forgive you. Verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life, and those who find it are few. So right in there, the golden rule. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Heard that many times, probably growing up. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who, are, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. The fruit here is specifically what they teach. Listen to what they preach. We are to be always testing our pastors. This is one of the reasons why in our services we have creeds. We have the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and once or twice a year we do the Athanasian Creed. The reason is, as you say that creed and you begin to become familiar with it, whenever a pastor says something strange and unusual, you will know. 
because you've memorized much of the scriptures. And this is even why we sing so many of our hymns. Many of our hymns are very rich theologically, really rich in doctrine and teaching. Um, our liturgy teaches much of scripture. And so we, we do these things and we do them frequently so that we begin to learn them and memorize them. So that way when a pastor starts to go off the, off the tracks and starts teaching something strange, you know it. It's to protect you against against me and against any pastor for when we become corrupted and start bearing false fruit. You are to know this. You need to be aware of this as Christians. Listen to what your pastor preaches. Do not, I don't care, don't listen to it for him to say what you want to hear. A pastor that's just telling you what you want to hear may not be just because he says what you want to hear does not mean he is preaching the scriptures. Listen for him to actually preach what is in accord with the scriptures. Make sure he is preaching law and gospel, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, all right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I want you to understand something. The word prophesy, it has multiple meanings. The word prophesy does not always mean to tell the future. To prophesy simply can mean to preach. Um, this comes out especially if you read in um, Ezekiel, in the Valley of the Dry Bones. He says, man, man of God, prophesy to these bones. He's not saying tell the future to these bones. He's telling him to preach to the bones. So the false prophets here, it's not just that they tell the wrong future. False prophets is another way of saying false preachers. Again here, says, on my day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we, did we not prophesy in your name? Rather, you could, you could read that as well, saying, Lord, Lord, did we not preach in your name and cast out demons in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, because they will have been preaching what is contrary to God's word. That hell is going to be filled with false preachers. And these preachers... Fill up churches to the brim. Don't think that just because they're popular that they're telling the truth. Popularity only proves that they, they, they soothe the itching ear. They tell us what we want to hear. In fact, if you're preaching the truth, very likely you're going to be unpopular. You're going to be unliked. That's the way it works. Our sinful nature can't stand the truth of God's word. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be a wise man. And so notice, these words. <coughs> and the rain will be... So in everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. God's word is a rock. Right? And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So we're going to end there. So we're going to be a little bit short of an hour here on this um, reading today. I think chapter 8 is a, yeah, chapter eight's a little bit longer than I would be, want to go into. So we'll get to chapter 8 and probably chapter 9 um, in a, a couple weeks here. 
So until then, um, the Lord bless you. Until then, we get we're gonna conclude. I was gonna end with a benediction here, but first, um, we're gonna have a closing hymn, and yeah. So let's end with a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Again, I am Pastor Neil Wemus. This is a recording of the 101 series podcast, which is just the basic teachings of the Christian faith, reading through scripture, etc., um, etc. Et uh, and if you want to... if You'd like to come, if you live in the area and like to attend our church, I encourage you to do that. Um, I am a pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Ida Grove, Iowa. Uh, we have services at 6 o'clock on Saturday, uh, 8 o'clock, and then 8 o'clock and 10.30 on Sunday morning. If you do not live in the area, I encourage you to go find a church in your area. Go on, um, you can find churches at um, one of these three sites. You could go to www.issuesetc.org or www.lutheranliturgy.org or uh, www.lcms.org and go to their Find a Church tabs and any of those three sites you will find a good church in your area. So with that, we'll conclude with a, uh, a song, a hymn of Martin Luther. That is a meditation uh, on the Lord's Prayer. And the name of the hymn is Our Father, Who from Heaven Above. play this sorry pausing for a moment but i'm gonna play this with the audio because i can't get the tune without it name me hallowed help us Lord, in purity to keep your word that to the glory of your name we walk before you free from blame let no false teaching us pervert, all poor deluded souls convert. Your kingdom come, God, your domain, and your eternal righteous reign. The Holy Ghost enrich your day, with kids attendant on our way, break Satan's power, defeat his rage, preserve your church from age to age. For gracious will on earth be done, as it is done before your throne, that patiently we may obey throughout our lives that all say good flesh and blood and every ill that sets itself against your will. Give us this day our daily bread and let us all be clothed and fed. Save us from hardship, war, 
war and strife, in plague and famine spare our life, that we in honest peace may live, to care and we no entrance give. Forgive our sins, Lord, we implore, that they may trouble us no more. We too will gladly those forgive who hurt us by the way they live. Help us in our community to serve each other Not into temptation, Lord, will our grim foe and all his horde would vex our souls on every hand. Help us resist, help us to stand firm in the faith of mighty host through comfort of the Holy Redeem us from eternal death, and when we yield our dying breath, console us, grant us calm release, and take our souls to you in peace. Amen, that is, so shall it be. Make strong our faith in you that we may down not but with trust believe that what we ask we shall receive. Thus in your name and at your word we say.